please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. We're going to read verses 5 through 8 today. And we're talking about prayer today because Jesus is talking about prayer in these verses. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. But do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can, we can come today and, and, and worship you. We pray, Lord, that you would, would teach us, that you would open our eyes again to, to wonderful things in your word. And Lord, we are dependent upon you. We, we wait upon you. And we ask, Lord, that you would change us more into the people that you want us to be. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer is one of, one of the most holy, intimate, and personal activities that believers can engage in. It is one of the most talked about and least practiced spiritual disciplines. Prayer, quite simply, is talking to God. Prayer is our lifeline to God. It, but it also is a mystery to us. We know what it is uh, because it is so simple. Prayer is simple. Even a child can participate. But we cannot adequately explain it because it is so complex. We can't explain how it works. We just know it does. And, and, and I will say this. Prayer is a touchy subject for a lot of people. There are people who say, I don't like to pray in public. And they've got their reasons. Maybe someone has made them feel bad because if they prayed a certain thing and they didn't like it, and they said, why'd you pray that? Or maybe they're, they're uh, sensitive about how their voice sounds in public, and so they don't want to pray out in public. Maybe someone laughed once when they were trying to pray, and they said, I'm not going to pray in public anymore. Maybe they got burned. There are some people, too, that at the topic of the mention of prayer, they feel guilty uh, at the mention of prayer because they know they should pray more. Or at least that's the pressure they put upon themselves. Or maybe that's the, the, the expectation the church has put upon them. You've got to pray more. So prayer is a touchy subject for many. But in Jesus' day, people abused giving, prayer, and fasting. They used those things to get attention. As we saw last week in the context of giving, Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, that Jesus wants us to use money to serve him, not ourselves. With regard to giving away resources, Jesus says that publicly, don't make a scene. And privately, don't dwell on it. As Titus 3.14 says, 
learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that you will not be unfruitful. And we want to live fruitful lives before God. Well, next, Jesus is addressing the topic of prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. And his words are really a study in contrasts. A study in contrast. Jesus is instructing his followers and all who will listen about prayer that pleases God. He is in effect saying this, don't do it that way, do it this way. Uh, Here is how you can come to God in prayer. Uh, Actually, this is how you must come to God in prayer. He warns his followers about being like those who were deceived and those who were deceptive. Uh, People who were either self-centered or mistaken in their assumptions about prayer. And he shows them how to connect with God. He shows them how to pray in such a way that pleases God. By the way, this passage we're looking at today is really a preface to the Lord's Prayer, also known as the Disciples' Prayer, where Jesus shows us how to pray. Here, he shows us how not to pray. By the way, I want you to know, too, that this being a preface to the Lord's Prayer, after this week, we're going to take a five-week break from the Gospel of Matthew. The next two weeks, I'm going to address uh, Acts chapter 2, what the church must be. And then I'm going to be gone for three weeks. And then when I come back on August 16th, we're going to, we're going to start with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but this is a preface to the Lord's Prayer. And, and questions come up when you, when, you, when you read these verses. But Jesus is showing us how not to pray. And in that, in that contrasting example, we learn how to pray. But questions arise Questions like, well, what kind of prayer does please God? And, and is it okay to pray in public? Is it okay for me to pray in public? And, and do I have to pray four hours a day to be spiritual? What do, what do I need to do? Jesus answers these questions and more, and he shows what his people are to do in contrast with both religious and irreligious people who pretend or, either, or attempt uh, to, to approach God in prayer. So first thing that Jesus talks about is the purpose of prayer. The first thing he says something about is, is prayer's purpose. And he, what he is doing is he addressing a common error um, of doing religious things to look like you're devoted to God. Doing uh, good things to look like you're really close to God. And he uses the negative example of the scribes and the Pharisees once again. They are the primary group of people being referred to here. So look with me at verse, at verse 5. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. He says, when you pray. He begins this way. When you pray. It's just like giving. It isn't if you pray, but when you will pray. When you do so. If you're a Christian, it's assumed you're going to pray. Period. It's expected that you will pray. That you will want to talk to God. And when you pray. So Christians pray. Expected that we would want to communicate with God, that we would want to talk with Him, that we would want to converse with Him, who knows our hearts. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to communicate with God? Why would we want to converse with Him, to talk with Him, who knows our hearts? Because He wants us to be heavenly minded. And when we communicate with Him, He wants us to do so in a heavenly minded way. I'm reminded of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above. Verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. 
and communication with God, prayer is where we come to him with a heavenly mindset, not thinking about things on earth, but setting our minds on things above. It's kind of like this with prayer. It's kind of like in this room right now. You're all alive, and therefore you're all breathing. Live people breathe, dead people don't. Christians pray. Those alive in Christ pray. And once again, Jesus says, and don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like them. Don't go there. He says, he says don't be like the hypocrites because they're more concerned with what they do than why they do it. Religious hypocrites have made it something, made prayer something it never was intended to be. They made it a way to focus the spotlight upon themselves instead of God. Jesus says they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners, just like in their giving. Among God's people, out in the community, they were show-offs. Jesus says they love to stand and pray. By the way, not a bad thing to do. In fact, in the Bible, uh, that was the common stance of prayer, to stand and to pray. Not a bad thing to stand and pray, but it's all how you do it and why you do it. Uh, They did it for the wrong reasons. They did it for people to, to notice them, for them to be seen. They totally missed the purpose of prayer, which is to communicate with God in a heavenly minded way. They get what they want when they do that, and that's all they'll get, Jesus says. He says they will have their reward in full, paid up, count closed. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, Jesus says, but you, when you pray, ah, you're going to be different. He says, when you pray, go into your inner room. What does this mean? Are we all supposed to build a little room in our house? You have one of those at your house? What is it? Is it 10 by 10? Is it 4 by 3? Is it, is it a small little closet? Is it a big room? What do you have? Do you have have a room at your house? Jesus says, go into your inner room. Is that what Jesus means? Build a room in your house? No. That's not what he, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. What does it mean to pray in secret? What does it mean to to go into your inner room and to shut the door? Well, I, I believe it means to be focused upon God. To be focused in our communication with him in a heavenly minded way would be focused upon him. And often that, that will mean going to a quiet place. Often that will mean going to a, a still place. I've said, I've said to people before, I've got to have my alone time and I've got to have my people time. If I don't have my alone time, I'm no good with people. But I've got to have both. I'm recharged by being alone and I'm recharged by people. But one without the other, I've got an imbalance in my life. But it's going to mean going to a quiet place, sure. Stillness helps. But what matters most is not the place you are, not your geography, but the priority on focusing on God. Not where you are, but that you are undistracted by other people and yourself. You know, when when you pray, uh, a lot of times I know in my family, uh, we'll say, hey, uh, close your eyes because you're getting distracted by your sister or your brother. And they're like, well, dad, your eyes are open. I'm like, How do you know? Shut your eyes. (laughs) By the way, Jesus, in probably the the most powerful, the greatest prayer probably in the whole Bible, in John chapter 17, if you wonder if you should open your eyes or not, I tell my kids, the Bible doesn't say you have to close your eyes when you pray. 
In fact, Jesus, John chapter 17 and verse 1, he, he, says these, he says all these things, and then he lifts up his eyes to heaven, and he prays. Prayed with eyes open. Greatest prayer in the Bible. I don't have to close my eyes, but if you need to be undistracted, maybe you might want to. But it's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you you have to close your eyes when you pray. We're often uh, very concerned and, and distracted by others. So you want to be undistracted by other people and yourself. What does that mean? Well, be unconcerned with what other people think about what you're praying. Let's be honest. We, all, we rehearse our, our prayers when we pray in public. You, you're, you're not even thinking about what other people are praying. You're thinking about what you're going to pray next. Hmm, that'll sound good. Yeah. And then it's easy to slip into the, and they're going to think I'm really spiritual too because I'm going to use this word. And by the way, there are people that are so controlling about what people pray, aren't they? Ooh, they prayed that. Oh no, the sky is falling. It wasn't theologically correct. Oh no. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that with us? We can just pray and and pour out our hearts to him and maybe we don't say it exactly the way we're supposed to say it or the way someone else wants us to say it. But prayer is is communicating with God with a heavenly-minded way, and sometimes we don't know how to pray. So people sometimes are afraid about what other people are going to think when they pray out loud. We shouldn't put that kind of pressure on each other. We should be undistracted by each other and ourselves. Unconcerned with what others think of your prayers or what they will think of you after you pray or what you want them to think of you. We often get so fixated on these two things. What people think of the words we pray or what people think of us. But God is the one who sees. He is our audience of one. See, but hypocrites, as Jesus says, hypocrites are religious looking actors. They're putting on a stage play engaged in mere theatrics. Instead, Jesus says, be honest. Just be honest with God. Engage in sincere communication with him. He sees your heart. He knows your heart. And he rewards. He rewards. Look at the end of verse 6. You know, Jesus says, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your father who sees in secret. And your father who, who sees, literally sees in secret, will reward you. You know, we say, I don't want any reward. You know, we're thinking monetary. No, Jesus rewards us. God is the rewarder of those who seek him. I want, I want you to see something here. Uh, when Jesus says, go into your room, think with me for a moment. Now, the Greek word for room is tameon, and it was a supply room. It was a storeroom. It was the only room in poor Palestinian farmhouses that could be locked. And in that room, you would put all your valuable things, your animals, your feed, your money. It was the only room that could be locked. It was your treasure room. And the implication here is that there are treasures awaiting those who seek God sincerely in prayer. There are those treasures that are awaiting those who communicate with God with a heavenly-minded mindset. He sees your heart and he rewards. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he who comes to God must believe that he exists. And he is the rewarder of those who seek him. He rewards us not monetarily, not materially. He rewards us with with spiritual blessings, with an awareness of his presence, with the knowledge 
of his peace, with his joy, with his assurance, with his love, with, a, with an awareness of his sovereignty that he is in control and therefore everything is under control. He rewards us. But does this mean we're not supposed to pray in public? People have taken these verses to mean that. He says, go into your inner room, shut the door, and pray to your father who sees in secret. So are you not supposed to pray in public? This is important for us to know since we do it often. Uh, This does not mean you shouldn't pray in public. Let me give you a common example. Praying at a restaurant uh, for your meal. Thanking God for your meal before you eat. Okay, a lot of people do that. Again, it's not, the Bible doesn't say you have to do that, but a lot of people do it. So let's use that as an example. That can be done appropriately as long as it's not done for show. I really want the people in this restaurant to see that I am acknowledging God before I eat. You know what I'm saying? By the way, prayer is not evangelism. Okay? Evangelism is living and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who don't know Jesus Christ. But don't use prayer as a way to, hey, maybe they'll see us and think something about us and that we're really spiritual, or maybe they'll even figure out that we're Christians because we're praying. See, praying out in public um, can be done very appropriately, but should not be done for show. Prayer is to be addressed to God alone. And by the way, Jesus even encourages group prayer. It is good for us to pray together and to pray for one another. But group prayer is only as strong as the private prayer of its members. See, Jesus says we're to avoid the sin of hypocrisy in prayer because it is a misuse of the purpose of prayer. It diverts it from the glory of God to the glory of ourselves. So Jesus first talks about the purpose of prayer. The second thing he focuses upon is the nature of prayer. What true prayer is like. And again, he does so by contrast. Uh, He contrasts his instructions with a common error, but this time he doesn't use the scribes and the Pharisees. This time, it's something that even unbelievers do. It's this idea of thinking that you have to pray really long prayers so God will hear you. Uh, To pray really long prayers to get God's attention. Religious hypocrites knew better, but but pagans do it out of ignorance. Jesus says in verse 7, he says, And when you are praying, you're in the midst of praying, you will pray, followers of Christ pray. So when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. Basically, don't babble on and on. For they suppose they will be heard for their many words. They think that many words equals lots of attention from God. Not true. Jesus is saying, it's not how many words you say. I'm reminded of the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel with Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 18. Who cried out all day long, oh Baal, save us. They did that all day long and nothing happened. 1 Kings 18 and verse 29. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Of course, they're praying to a false god. The, the, you know, the, the contest of which is the true God was no contest at all. But unbelievers worshiping a false God thought that their many words would have an effect. It didn't. It couldn't. It wouldn't. But what does it mean for believers uh, to not use meaningless repetition in prayer? Does it mean that we can't keep praying the same thing over and over again? 
Many of us have prayed the same prayer for 20 or 30 years. Does God not want us to do that? No. No, Jesus did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed three times, not my will, but your will be done, praying to the Father. Matthew 26, verse 44. He went away a third time and prayed, saying the same words. So what is meant here in in chapter 6, verse 7? What is meant? Well, the Greek word for, for, for meaningless repetition kind of opens up the meaning for us. The Greek word is badalogeo. Badalogeo, it meant to stammer. Uh, some thought it referred to the poet uh, Battus, who wrote really, really long poems that nobody wanted to read. Um, the idea is that we are not to heap up empty phrases when we pray. We're not to just go on and on, babbling on and on. Prayers with no meaning have no place in our lives. Mindless words don't fly with God. Don't go there. Don't do it, he says. So how did and does this warning apply? How did it apply to them back then? How does it apply to us today? Um, Let's talk about back then. Back then, prayer became a very big burden for Jews. Um, Prayer tended to get very formalized. They had things they had to pray every day, and it was a lot. It was a lot. You think you have a, a long prayer list? Wait till you hear this. They did daily prayers that every devout Jew would pray. And uh, any good Jew would pray three times a day, just like Daniel. First, they would pray what was called the Shema, uh, consisting of three passages of Scripture. In fact, go to Deuteronomy 6 with me. The first, it started with Deuteronomy 6. And it went on to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 13 to 21, and Numbers 15, 37 to 41. But it started with these words, and they would pray this every day, Every morning and every night. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Here's what they would pray. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. They prayed these words. You would pray it every morning and every evening. Every morning and early, as early as possible. As soon as it was light enough to tell the difference between blue and white, you'd pray it. And it had to be done before 9 a.m. in the morning. At night, you had to pray it before 9 p.m. You would pray it every day. A second thing that every Jew would daily repeat was called the Shamone Ezra. It means the 18. There were 18 prayers. Um... By the way, they added one. It became 19, but they kept the name the same. Go figure. It was still called the 18. But they, they prayed 19 prayers every single day, and they were long prayers. Many of them were very, very meaningful. The 12th one started like this. It's good stuff, by the way. Let your mercy, O Lord, be shown to the upright, the humble, the elders of your people Israel, the rest of its teachers, 
be favorable to the pious strangers among us and to us all. Give a good reward to those who sincerely trust in your name. Good words to pray. But they had to pray these things every single day. And I'm sure that many of them prayed them out of love and adoration for God with a, with a heavenly-minded um, uh, you know, uh, perspective. But I am also sure that others just got through it to check it off a list. Just to say they did it. A formula to follow. A mantra to recite so they felt they had done their duty. Maybe even praying superstitiously thinking that if they miss saying it, something would or wouldn't happen. Think about it. A lot of us pray superstitiously, thinking that if we don't pray a certain thing, something might happen or not happen. We can do the same thing today. We say words without thinking what they mean. We pray words. And some of us have this, this prayer, prayer jargon we use. There are some people that before every sentence, they say a certain thing and say the same thing afterward. And I'm not saying it's bad, but you can start saying those words as if you don't even know you're saying them. Everybody else hears them, but you don't even know you're saying them anymore. It's easy to pray without thinking about what you're actually saying. It can be liturgy, a, a, a written out prayer that everybody prays. But it's not just that. It could be a pray that, prayer that you pray off the top of your head, extemporaneous prayer. You could still fall into the thing of, of just saying certain words, using catchphrases or spiritual sounding words so people will think you're spiritual without thinking about what they really mean. See, prayer is to be addressed to God, not the people that are hearing the prayer. See, we're to avoid that when we address God. It's an abuse of the nature of prayer. It downgrades it from personal interaction with God to basically an empty recital. Just an empty recital. The whole idea of prayer assumes that we would use meaningful, personal communication that acknowledges God accurately. Personal, meaningful communication that acknowledges God accurately. As Dallas Willard put it, prayer is intelligent conversation about matters of mutual concern. Intelligent conversation about matters of mutual concern. By the way, it's not an intelligence briefing. You don't need to let God know about all the things that you need to let him know about that he doesn't know about. He knows it all. He knows more than we know about it. It's not an intelligence briefing. It is an intelligent conversation. And so things like God's sovereignty and his all-knowingness and his being ever-present ought to find their way into our thinking and into our prayers. And we ought to engage in, in, in meaningful conversation with God, meaningful interaction with Him that addresses our needs, that, that, that addresses our desires, and also, also acknowledges who He is. It recognizes His greatness and His goodness. John Stott put it this way, if, praying, if the praying of the Pharisees was hypocritical and that of the pagans was mechanical, then the praying of Christians must be real. Real, sincere as opposed to hypocritical, thoughtful as opposed to mechanical. Jesus intends our minds and hearts to be involved in what we are saying. I love that. Jesus intends our minds and our hearts to be involved in what we are saying. And then Stott says this, then prayer is seen in its true light, not as meaningless repetition of words, nor as a means to our own glorification. 
but as a true communion with our Heavenly Father. Luther said this, Luther said, prayer ought to be brief, frequent, and intense. Brief, frequent, and intense. He may have been thinking of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 2. Let not your hearts be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you upon earth, therefore let your words be few. But there is also grace that we are instructed to be persistent in prayer. We are instructed to not let up in prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 7 with me. Matthew chapter 7. What does Jesus say? We're going to get here someday, by the way, as we go through this book of Matthew. But let me just give you a preview of what he's going to say. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. And by the way, that's keep asking, and keep seeking, and keep knocking. Look at James chapter 5. James chapter 5. You know, I've said it before, and, and, I, and I, I firmly believe it, that, that the book of James mirrors the Sermon on the Mount in many ways. And James chapter 5, verse 13 says, is, is any among you suffering? Then he must pray. If you're cheerful, sing praises. Is any among you sick? He must call for the elders of the church and they're to pray over him. Look at verse 16. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And here we have the example of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. That's effective prayer. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. But we are encouraged to pray, and to pray without ceasing. So it doesn't mean you can't say words to God, but there is an idea of not keeping on going and going and going. And not thinking about it. If you think about this, prayer is not brain surgery. There are a lot of things in the Christian life that are really complicated. Prayer is not one of them. Prayer is simple. Prayer is conversation with God with a heavenly minded perspective. It's just, it's just not brain surgery. It's simple. But many people have been led to believe or have talked themselves into thinking that effective prayer is something they can never attain to. Well, I'm just not spiritual enough. I don't pray four hours a day. I don't have knees like camels. I, don't, I just can't do it. And, and it's kind of like any kind of goal. You go, well, I, I can't get there. So I'm just, nah, I'm just no good at this. We've made prayer into something that's almost a contest. It's not who can pray the most or who can pray the best. It's connect with your heavenly father. Prayer is to be joyful. Not to be a burden. Prayer had become a burden to the Jews. It's a yoke around their necks. Too much to accomplish. And forced upon them by their religious leaders. But prayer is to be joyful. Prayer is to be personal. Prayer is to be communication with God. We're to pray without ceasing. To keep, we are to keep regular times of prayer. That is good. And we're to live as Brother Lawrence taught. Always aware of God's presence. Practicing the presence of God. Both of those things are true. But when you pray, it's a good thing to get to the point. To cut to the chase. To be brief. 
You know, if, if you pray often alone, when you are called upon to pray in public, it most likely will be brief. D.L. Moody liked to say that a man who prays much in private will make short prayers in public. But that is only one man's opinion. Every prayer doesn't have to be short. There are some really, really good long prayers in the Old Testament. Frederick Dale Bruner, though, I think gives a really uh, significant insight into this passage and into this idea. And here's what he says. The paradox of prayer is that only when it is relieved of the necessity of much will people experience the freedom for much. When disciples know they don't have to pray much, they will surprisingly desire to pray more. Let me read that again. The paradox of prayer is that only when it is relieved of the necessity of much will people experience the freedom for much. When disciples know they don't have to pray much, they will surprisingly desire to pray more. I love that. Uh, God frees us to approach him freely with no quota to fill. There is no prayer quota that is heaped upon your back to pray every morning and every noon and every night. You don't have to pray four hours a day. You don't have to pray four hours a day to be close to God, but you can if you want to. You can pray 24 hours a day. God's not going to stop you as long as you do your regular responsibilities and keep your eyes open when you're driving. All will be well. Verse 8. Verse 8. Here's what Jesus says. Do not be like them. Very strong words, by the way. Strong words. Don't be like them. Don't be like those that put on the show. Don't be like those that go on and on and on thinking that they have to say a a lot of stuff so God will hear them. No, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. God is God. He knows. We don't serve a God that is only concerned with how well or how much we can pray. He is not unknowing that we need to inform him or unfeeling that we need to talk him into meeting our needs. He is our Father who loves us very much and knows our needs. In fact, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6 and and then verse 8, it reminds us of God's part in the process of prayer. Verse 6 says that God sees. Your Father who sees will reward you. And and then verse 8 says your Father knows what you need before you ask. So why is it important to pray in the right way? Because you can fool some people. You can't fool God. And because he sees and because he knows, then he rewards and he meets the needs. He sees and knows, so he rewards and he meets the needs. And so we're to seek his attention. The people that you want to hear you pray can't meet your need. God may meet your need through them, but they're not God. Some people, they engage in mere mechanics when they pray. Jesus says, make it personal. Make it personal. Don't rehearse it. God is intimately acquainted with his children. Those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. He hears the prayers of his children. Those who have been saved by grace through faith in Christ can go to their loving heavenly father. I've got a good friend that every time he prays, he, he addresses God. Oh God, our loving heavenly father. Our part, our part is to pray 
you know, the process of prayer is under God's watchful eye. God sees and knows the needs and meets them. But you could ask this question then, why pray? Then why pray? Why should I pray if that's how it is? I like the way Calvin put it. Believers do not pray with a view to informing God about things unknown to him. They pray in order to seek him, to exercise their faith in his promises, to declare that from him alone is their hope and expectation that they will receive from him all good things. See, our part is to, to, to simply, um, humbly and honestly talk with our loving Heavenly Father. See, when I was a kid, I needed something. If I didn't know how to do something, I would just ask my dad. He was there. He was present. He was available. He was approachable. If I needed to know how to change the oil on my car, he showed me. In fact, I had a, my first car was a 1973 Formula Firebird. I love that car. And he showed me how to change the oil. First time I changed the oil, we had a long driveway, by the way, about 100 feet long. And I was up near the garage and I changed the oil and I forgot to put the drain plug in all the way. Didn't check that at the end. And uh, so as I'm backing out the driveway, my mom comes screaming out of the house because basically oil in the complete driveway. But my dad did not, did not ream me for it. He was patient about it. Hey, this happens sometimes. I had to clean it up, but it happens sometimes. But my dad was available. I could ask him anything. And by the way, I still ask my dad. I'm not under his authority anymore, but I still ask him. And that's one of the ways we can, we can honor our father and mother. Ask your parents' advice. But the process of prayer is the whole idea of going and praying like a child with his father. And I say to my kids, I say, you know what? Um, you can ask me anything. I might not give it to you. You can ask me anything. Sometimes the answer is going to be no. And sometimes it will be held in abeyance. You're going to have to wait, and maybe we don't even know the answer yet. And sometimes the answer will be, yes, wonderful. But with prayer, pray like a child going to his father. Ask your father. He understands you. He knows you. Sometimes we make prayer this thing to get attention or gain a reputation. We make it mechanical rather than relational. But God is sovereign. This is an amazing thing. God is sovereign and knows all things. And still he instructs us to pray. He wants us to come to him. He knows that sometimes we make a show of it. Sometimes that we pray without thinking about what we're praying. And still he says, come to me. Pray. Ask me. And the way to guard against those errors, by the way, is to stay humble and dependent like a child under the authority of his father. Just to stay humble and dependent under God. See, prayer is about acknowledging that we are dependent on what he provides and that we are confident in what he can do. But a word of caution is necessary. A word of caution. We must be careful when we approach God in prayer. We must be careful because it's just like when you, when you hear it at a wedding ceremony um, that prayer is not to be is not something to be entered into lightly or unadvisably, but soberly and reverently in the fear of Almighty God. Why? Because prayer is a wonderful gift from God, but it is dangerous. Prayer is dangerous. Because, because prayer is this wonderful blessing, we don't realize how dangerous it is at times. And the quagmire that we get into is that it has to do with the desires of our hearts. I like the way Eugene Peterson put it. We want life on our conditions. Not God's. 
Praying puts us in risk of getting involved in God's conditions. Be slow to pray. Be slow to pray. Praying, he says, most often doesn't get us what we want, but what God wants. Something quite at variance with what we conceive to be our best interest. And I love this last part. And when we realize what is going on, it is often too late to go back. So he says, be slow to pray. Prayer is dangerous. So the question is this. Are we willing to put ourselves on the line and vulnerably enter into the danger zone of prayer? One writer said this. Our modern church is filled with many people who look pure, sound pure, and are inwardly sick of themselves, inwardly sick of their weaknesses, their frustration, and the lack of reality around them in the church. Our non-Christian friends feel either that that bunch of nice, untroubled people would never understand my problems, or the more perceptive pagans around us who know us socially or professionally feel that we Christians are either grossly protected and ignorant about the human situation, or are out-and-out hypocrites who will not confess the sins and weaknesses our friends know intuitively to be universal. We've got to be honest. We've got to be honest. See, Jesus continually, over and over again, calls his people to reach for something more significant than what religious and secular people often settle for. He says that true righteousness is greater because it is of the heart. He says that true love is fuller because it includes your enemies. And he says that true prayer is deeper because it is communication with with him who is our only hope. When we find our joy in Christ alone, when we get to the place in life when we are convinced that nothing, not money, not, not friendships, not family, not job, not status, not toys, not sports, nothing but Jesus will satisfy us. When we get to that point, when we say that nothing, no one but Jesus will bring us true satisfaction, then we pray in ways that please God. Then when we worship him, we worship him with all our life every day. And when we gather together with his people, we pray with expectant hearts. Let's pray. Lord God, we do come to you today uh, with expectant hearts And we know, Lord, prayer is dangerous because you're going to change us. But we also know and we thank you that you want us to come to you and we thank you for the privilege of coming to you in prayer. And we pray, Lord, that you would would lead us into a life of worship, a life of prayer. And as we gather, whenever we gather together, that we would pray expectantly, confident in who you are and dependent upon what you provide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.